<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? This is a dream, 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 dream guest. Malky uh, G. Malky G. <laughs> Malcolm Gladwell, who I have been a huge, huge fan of. He's been on my list of dream guests for so long. And a shout out to Mike Birbiglia. Mike Birbiglia had uh, Malcolm on his podcast, Working It Out, which is a great podcast. And I texted Mikey. I said, look, I've never done this, but he's a dream guest. And Mikey hooked me up with his team. Thank you to his reps that helped make this happen as well. And thank you to Malcolm for taking the time. But you'll see uh, when you listen that <laughs> Mike Birbiglia, uh, it's like a great karma thing. Hmm. You'll hear. Oh. It like... Intriguing. Mike Mike will be glad that Malcolm did this podcast. So he did a nice thing and he gets a nice thing. And I love when that works out. So uh, a couple quick plugs up top. Uh, one, we're doing a live We Made It Weird, which is the Friday edition with me and Val with guest Amy Mann. Uh, me, Val, and Amy Mann with special guest host Moshe Kasher. Nobody funnier than Moshe Kasher. Uh, we'll be recording an episode of this podcast live at Largo here in L.A. Go to Largo-LA.com for tickets. That's on November 22nd. And then on December 14th is my next stand-up show, uh, also at Largo. Always a highlight of my month. Go to Largo-LA.com for tickets to either of those. Uh, and as you probably know by now, we don't do traditional ads on this podcast. We only do things that we love and believe in. And one of those for sure is Living Libations, which is our skin, hair, eye, teeth, everything. Yeah. Everything skin care, body care company. For years, I, I just recently realized I was being very mindful about what I was eating, but I wasn't being careful about what I was putting on my body. Of course, what we put on our body ends up in our bodies. I didn't really put that together. <laughs> I was buying shaving cream and face washes that I thought were fancy and good because they were expensive, to be quite honest, and because they were French sounding and they were sold in malls that had nice candles lit in them. Uh, but they're filled with toxicity levels and chemicals linked to disease. It was just never intended for humans. It's just not right. It's made by corporations that don't care about you. So when I found out about Living Libations, it was a huge game changer because I realized I wanted to eat food where I recognize the ingredients. And I want, of course, my skin care, my hair care, my teeth care, my te teeth care teeth to care. be the same. So enter Living Libations. They've we're top to tails. Everything we do, our baby stuff, our uh, face sunscreen. wash, sunscreen every morning. We finally found an actual natural sunblock that works. It's called Love the Sun, I believe. You can just mm -hmm. go to livinglibations.com/weird. My deodorant currently. And uh, use promo code weird for twenty percent off. I use their exfoliating scrub, which I love to plug here. The ginger exfoliating scrub. I'm actually using their peppermint exfoliating scrub mm -hmm. right now. It's made with plants and oils and extracts that I recognize in real and natural, and it works. It's the most badass, powerful exfoliating scrub I've ever used in my life. I also use their Zen Shave to shave with, which is such a clean and natural Zen uh, Zen shaving balm that you can actually use a dab of it as the aftershave. It'll it'll go right into your skin. It's that natural and clean. And at night, we both use their Best Skin Ever moisturizer, which smells great, feels great, and gets your skin looking great before bed. So I promise, this is a great way to support the show. Whatever you need for skin, face, body, eyes, teeth, baby care, Living Libations has a premium, natural, and wonderful product to replace the random chemical nightmare they sell at 7-Eleven. So show your support and show your body some support. Go to livinglibations.com and use promo code WEIRD at checkout to get 20% off and show your support of this show. Speaking of things we love and believe in, Val and I are both huge believers in talk therapy. 
for both of us. It has been a huge game changer at pivotal moments in our life. There are certain stigmas, there are certain fears that keep people from seeking help for mental health. Uh, this podcast in large part is about getting over that, like whether it's your family judging you or treating you differently. Meeting with a therapist to work on your mental health is just as helpful and just as normal, frankly, as hiring a personal trainer to work on your physical health uh, or going to the foot doctor. It's the same sort of thing. Talking helps. It really, really helps way more than the sum of its parts. And Talkspace makes it possible to speak with a licensed therapist right from your phone, tablet, or computer. So it couldn't be easier. Unlike traditional therapy, you can message your therapist anytime via text, video, or voice. It's 100% secure and stigma-free, the way therapy should be. I uh, started seeing a talk therapist, Dr. Gary Penn, whose book and podcast is available now. <laughs> He's a wonderful talk therapist. I was going to get coached through a breakup. Of course, that was hugely important. I really needed help to get there. And I knew, frankly, I knew that my family is not a therapy family. And I'm so glad that I didn't let that stop me because those conversations and also, frankly, not even his advice, just having someone to hear me and be and bear witness to what I was going through helped me put some things together that I don't I know I wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And at Talkspace, uh, you can do this, too. Not only that, but your privacy and your security are their number one priority. Their app puts you in a private room with just you and the therapist. You can send messages 24 seven and get replies throughout the day which I think is great. You don't have to wait for a weekly appointment. And their encryption and added security features keep your conversation fully protected. So if you've been interested in talk therapy, you've heard us talk a lot about it on this podcast, I think Talkspace is a great way to start moving forward with that decision. Join Talkspace today, uh, and you can do it with just a single message. Go to Talkspace.com. Get 100 bucks off your first month when you use promo code WEIRD. At sign up. Oh, I didn't let you do it for the last one. Yeah. Sorry. That's $100 off at Talkspace.com with promo code WEIRD. Get some help and show your support of this podcast. Last but not least, I'm right here by Freddy Treddy, my old treadmill. I I know, but it, it reads, it speaks to the ad. It's very cute. Is what I'm saying is I'm always jumping in between devices. I'm either here at the computer and I'm writing and I got my earbuds in or I'm on the treadmill and I'm working out and I'm using my phone. It's really important to have tech that can swap between devices all day seamlessly and most importantly, stay super, super comfortable. And this is where Ultimate Ears by uh, Logitech comes in. We all rely on our devices. It's so easy to forget about the hardware we're born with, which of course is the ear. Same as fingerprints, no two are exactly alike and that's why your earbuds probably, if you're like me, cause you some discomfort or even physical pain if you wear them for a while. The Ultimate Ears Fit True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds from Ultimate Ears are here to change all of that. These are the most comfortable earbuds I've ever owned in my life. The phone picks up and syncs to them perfectly and seamlessly, so does my computer. But really the headline is, they have this unbelievable molding experience. You get them, you unbox them, you download the app, you put them in your ear, they're sort of amorphous, and they gently warm up and the light hardens them to the shape of your ears. It's so fun to watch, it's like this purple light. I actually looked at myself in the mirror and watched them expand, sort of like when you roll up an ear uh, an earplug and you put it in your ear and it expands in the custom fit. That's what these are 
but for earbuds, which is incredible. Ultimate Ears Fits are the world's most comfortable earbuds with premium sound and all-day comfort. You get a guaranteed perfect fit in 60 seconds. I can attest to that. Ultimate Ears Fits will stay put when you're on the go, but feel ultra comfortable so you can wear them all day long without pain or discomfort, which is huge for me because as a sound-sensitive person, I have to have music on when I'm working. Using groundbreaking light form technology, Ultimate Ears Fits mold to the unique contours of your ear, put them in, connect to the app and the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. If you try fits and don't love them as much as I do, don't worry about it. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's how confident they are that you're going to love them. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. So, for a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits true wireless earbuds at UE, like Ultimate Ears, UE.com slash fits. Just use promo code weird at checkout which we actually have ultimate ears was nice and gave me a pair that's how i knew i loved him that's how we started working together we've used this code to get val a pair because she was so jealous of how perfectly fitting mine were so, so now we both have them that's 15 percent off with promo code weird at ue.com slash fits and show your support of the podcast all right everybody check out malcolm gladwell's new book it's called miracle and wonder we talk about it briefly in the podcast, which is, I can't wait to read it, about Paul Simon making Graceland. Check out anything he's ever done. Revisionist history. His podcast is incredible. Check out his TED Talks. He's just, he's changed my life. I love him. And I really hope you enjoy this chat uh, with Malcolm Gladwell. Val? Get into it. Nice. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Malcolm. How's it going? Pretty good. Sorry I'm late. I, um... I I uh, hadn't eaten and I had to get lunch or I would uh I would be a shell of myself when I I this was one of those situations I had a doctor's appointment this morning and I was like I am going to be rushing back I'm here in LA I know it's going to take 45 minutes to get home but I was like just just wait and see what happens and when you emailed 10:30 I was like it all worked out like I had one of those like the universe is on my side <laughs> Because I, I don't know, you're a big guest for me, you're a dream guest for a long time. And I just couldn't, I started writing the email, can we do 1030? And I just couldn't do it. I was just like, I'll find a way. And oh. then when you pushed, I felt very, very happy. Wonderful. Well, all worked out. Yes. How are you after lunch? You don't get the loaves? No, I'm fine. I'm good. You, oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I used to, um, this is by the way we started, I should say welcome to the show, but is it, are we talking to you at home? Because if we are, I'm very jealous that you have this little booth like this. No, no, no. This is, um, we have an office. Uh, Pushkin uh, has offices in Hudson, New York. And we renovated an old building. And this is the studio. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about sound booths. I Something about them. They're very womb-like. The soft carpeting the enclosure, the lack of sound. I just, I really thrive in a sound booth. So I'm, yeah. in, I'm, I'm just in my back house. You're in a very cozy place. Are you that way? Are you, a, I guess the better question is to get us started. I consider myself a highly sensitive person and I'm a creative person. Is the world overwhelming to you or are you always Malcolm Gladwell going out and going, well, people eat cubes of cheese in three distinct ways. Or are you like, fuck that. I need a break from thinking like that. Because the world is well, I probably the latter. I mean, I'm a, I sp I'm a big runner, so I have one at least an hour a day of, of um, of solitude, yeah. and uh, I don't. 
some people, you know, work at all kinds of problems when they run. I don't. I, I just let my my my, wine, my mind wander. It's explicitly an escape. Is it because is it, is it a remedy to the overwhelming feeling of the world? Like again, just to relate, I like doing comedy. I don't know if you know I'm a comedian because I'd rather talk to three thousand people than three people. That's a very common thing in my species. I wonder if you're the same way. Do you thrive at the New Yorker Christmas party? Do you love people coming up and saying, "Hey, I read the bomber. I read the tipping." Do you want that, or are you no, like not, not particularly? I mean, <laughs> but does it I freak you out? No, but I, you know, would I rather be home watching, you know, Chiefs Bills? Yes, or um, <laughs> you know, reading a good spy thriller uh, or going for a run. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm modestly extroverted. I'm extroverted where when there's an explicit purpose. I'm not extroverted by nature um, or by um, by choice. Um, I uh, yeah. There's probably if I were to redo my life, I would. I'd bow, I'd give myself. I'd up the solitude and reduce the kind of public time. I completely agree. I wonder if you shared my experience with the quarantine. So we went, especially in what I do, a lot of public speaking. I, I think you're a brilliant public speaker. I've actually, I know this is strange, but I've watched you change as a public speaker. I've even watched you change how you read your audiobooks. Like some of the earlier books are slower and a little bit deeper. And then you like kind of found your more showbiz. And so I've watched you evolve in this way, which has been really cool. And then we all took a year and a half off or more. And then when I came back, this is what I've been asking everybody. They say if you quit something, if you quit coffee for three months and then you drink it, that's your truest reaction. So mm -hmm. quitting public speaking for a year and a half and then going back, that's your truest reaction. And my reaction was, oh, my God, I never noticed it. Like I carry tension in my teeth and my shoulders and I'm replaying it afterwards and before. Did you notice this is a leading question, but I'm just curious if we're the same. Did you notice like, wow, there's more stress in my life than maybe I imagined? Well, I did notice something. So <clears throat> I didn't, my life didn't change dramatically in the pandemic. It just moved online. So like many people, I probably worked harder over the course of the pandemic than I did before. Because mm. I, um, and I still continue to do a lot of speaking, for example, and did all the reporting for my podcast but it was almost overwhelmingly remote. And so what I've discovered is, as I've gone back, is just how much better face-to-face -face is for those. A speed, you know, <clears throat> standing up in front of an audience live is not just mildly better than speaking to them on Zoom. It's a thousand times better. Mm -hmm. And it, if this pandemic had lasted hypothetically five years, I would have stopped doing that stuff. It's just not fun. Zoom it's is pointless. It's just I pointless. I didn't do it. You're friends uh, or friendly with Mike Birbiglia. And oh, yeah. I would do Mike's Zoom shows because he produced them incredibly well. But the rest, I was like, it's like playing the guitar underwater. It's it's not the same. Yeah. It's like having sex, but the mattress is between the two bodies. Like you're still grinding on something, but it's not a, 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 the same at all. Yeah. I'm curious, though. So Mike, by the way, can we just pause it? Yeah, please. I, I didn't, you know, I met Mike because I did his 
show. And then I went to one of his shows at City Winery that he's, he's, he's been doing these kind of, um, I guess, I don't know what you guys call them, prep shows, yeah. where you try out material. Um, Mike's, Jesus, Mike's, Mike's kind of a genius. Okay, cut that out, please. Katie, note the <laughs> time and we'll edit that out. Actually, even better, could we just get wild of you saying Pete? Well, okay, Malcolm, just in three, two, one, just say Pete so we can splice it in. Pete's a genius? <laughs> you're not supposed to be. You're not supposed to be competitive. I know you guys are notoriously competitive um, comedians. You're not. Come on. You're not supposed to. Be no, no, no. I completely agree with you. And um, I hope I'm not. I think at the beginning, the first 10 years is incredibly intense. And what's worse, and I've talked to Mike about this, is that Mike and I's strategy is appearing as non-competitive people. But of course, that is your strategy yes. to compete. Yes. Yeah. And whenever I talk to the sweetie pies of comedy, I, I can't talk to myself, but Mike is, is similar to me in that way. I want to get them to admit their swashbuckling nature, that they swing on ropes with knives between their teeth. And they yeah. do. They're not hurting people. But Mike has an itch that is insatiable to create and to be understood. And I think a lot of now I compete yeah. with my own feeling of being misunderstood. I liked... Um... One of the things I really like about him is how uh, it's his. I got the sense that you must know you know him much better than me, but just from the, the couple of encounters I've had with him, that what he was, how much what he was doing was considered. Mm-hmm. In other words, there seemed to be like a he's someone in a creative field who seems to have a strategic direction and have thought about what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, has given a lot of thought to the sort of the particulars of the process he wants. I just find that really interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and refreshing. Like, and I, I even find it in his comedy, what I originally loved going to his show, which I thought was just brilliant, was that it was a work in progress. Because what's interesting about him, I mean, he does, that's what he calls his podcast, right? Is explicitly he's interested in this process. but Working it out, yeah. That, that idea that... Um, for him, it's like a, you know, it wasn't just kind of. He didn't. He didn't even want to pretend that you, a comedian, was someone who jumped on stage and was funny. Yeah, again, he's over, very yeah. open about it. It is a craft, and he's going right. to like. And the cra- part of what's funny about him is the idea that he's crafting these jokes. So That's... I found myself imagining myself in his head. And all of the different directions he could take that joke, and he chose doorway number three, and I was like, "Oh, that's why you chose doorway number three, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, that was yes. kind of. I think that's the next level of of wanting to be understood. I really think one of my fundamental drives is to be understood. And when you do comedy that's transparent like that, where you're like, "I'm not even pretending I'm not looking at my notes right now," it's just another way to let them in and to feel that intimacy between the two. What I yeah. want to put to you, specifically the way your brain works. Uh, if I understand you from consuming you from afar, consuming you from afar, my life is a fan um, is which, cause Mike, I'll go and see Mike and I love Mike and I agree with you. He's a genius. And he will cut a section from the new one. Like I saw the new one when it was very early on, he'll cut a section that was getting huge laughs because it wasn't on theme or it wasn't like it was a little too flabby or something. And by the time you see it, you have, and I'm not saying this because you're kind of an NPR audience person. He's an NPR audience kind of person. He's deliberate, he's produced. 
this is You Made It Weird. This is not revisionist history. Revisionist history has music and cues and interviews and it's beautiful. I wonder though, at the end of the day, I want the, the stats. This is why I thought of you. I want the statistics. It, is it worth it cutting it and polishing it to perfection? Or, and I would ask this to Mike too, is it better to leave some of the sloppy, some of the like, this is what happened to me today. I'm going to add it to the show today because there's a certain frequency that you emit when you're saying something that really happened to you today. And is there a place to like slip that into the show or polish? And I'm sure there's book equivalents to this and your podcast equivalents to this. How, how much do we want to keep chaos on the spice? Yeah. Well, I guess I would say, speaking for Mike, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> please, that, um, please do that. The I think the way he does it gives his work a longer shelf life. Mm. So the the stuff that works in the moment that has that immediacy, it's great if you happen to be in the audience that day. But you've had this experience. You listen to something five years later, and you're just like, "What is going on? Like, I don't understand why this was even remotely funny." Mm. Whereas. I feel like Mike's way of doing things gives him a better shot at being, at, at still being meaningful down the road. Um, right. And also the other, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> is audience fatigue. I find the, the kind of chaotic, spontaneous comedy to be a, a, uh, really exhausting. Um, and I'm going to say something that is in comedy terms sacrilegious, and that is that this is why I had – I could only take in very limited doses Richard Pryor mm. because – I don't know if it's true, but it seemed like an awful lot of it was happening right there inside this insanely fertile volcanic brain of his, imagination of his. And I could understand that this is genius and magic and blah, blah, blah but man, it is exhausting. It's just like – it's so overwhelming and there's no – none of it's been edited. None of it – it's just like bubbling out of it. A, a better example of this was – and someone who I actually do not feel guilty about saying I did not like at all was um, – uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Williams. Robin. Robin Williams. I can't – you know, understand – Totally, he's a genius. No question about that. Yeah, appreciate the fact that many people love him. I am not down for that. It, I couldn't do it. I just I couldn't understand. do it. This sounds like you might be like me because Mike is an in the round, soft carpeted room. Robin, I know he played the Met and stuff. Robin wants to be in the hard pine stage and he wants to bang it off the walls and he wants to figure it out and make you uncomfortable and win you back. And I, I, I don't want to be controversial myself, but like I'm with you. I would rather watch Berbiglia than the frenetic sort of manic. Because yeah. I, I just opened for a musician and they didn't know there was a comedy part of the show. Uh, and I started doing my thing and I was sort of making fun of how kind of quiet and polite they were, obviously just to kind of get mm -hmm. them going. And then at a certain point, it occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I side with you guys. Unexpected comedy is like crazy. Like this is, I'm asking you to respond to me every 30 seconds. Music doesn't do that. It's, what I, yeah. it's actually what I don't like about music. I don't, I'd rather not sit there and just think thoughts for an hour and a half. I, I don't know if, are you a music person? Will you go to a concert? 
Uh, well, it's funny. I I do. I am. I mean, I have just done this book with Paul Simon, um, mm. so I'm very interested in music. I do not go to concerts. Mm-hmm. I but I also don't go to football games, and I also don't go to. I don't do live events very, which is why I actually going to. Not to bring it all back to Mike. Should we just make this about Mike? <laughs> can we just like, can we just admit that what we really want to do is talk about Mike, and that everything else is secondary? And by the way, just the thought of how happy—I don't know, not well, you know—but how happy he's going to be that, you know, that we're just talking I about know. him the entire time. And that the power's in my hand. I could edit all of this out. I could no, just no, no. take it don't away. Do that. This is so much fun. <laughs> it's going to be kidding. so much fun. I would just never imagine. do that. <laughs> I would never do it. He will be happy. He's gonna. This is my Mike impression. And then you talked so nice about me with Malcolm Gladwell. And I was like, this is my tipping point. That's my mic impression. <laughs> He's going to be very happy. And that's he is. a good thing. And I'm yes. happy thinking about how happy he is at the moment. Um, I went to his show live. I never go to live anything. Yeah. Why did why? I do that? Why? Why did I do Because he yeah, was but, so sweet about it. No, not why did you go to Mike's. We've talked enough about <laughs> Mike. Fuck Mike. I'm tired of Mike. He's overrated. I'm Come just on. kidding. But I'm why? Actually, no, no, no. Now part of me just wants to talk about Mike the entire time. I, there's, I was, it would drive you crazy. That kind of gives me pleasure at the moment, of too. Of course. Like, <laughs> what, what specifically do you love about Mike Birbiglia? <laughs> That's me being a good friend. I'm let's trying to with, go let's ahead. Start with the name. Let's start with the name. I mean, it sounds like a delicious kind of low, low level tomato sauce. It's, <laughs> yeah, Mike's Birbiglia. <laughs> no, no, it's very good. It's, it's very good. Um, the so I didn't know. I had a different experience than you're going to a show because all of the. I mean, it's heavily autobiographical, and I didn't know any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about his health problems. I didn't know about his family. I didn't, you know, I didn't like all this, all this is, you know, it was just, I was, it was a discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but wait, what was the, no, we can't really talk like that. So, well, you had a question. I didn't ask. Like, I, well, I'm trying to steer you into some of the zones that I love, like okay. secret anxiety or like why, maybe not even anxiety, but I think it's interesting that I, I went to a concert recently. I, I feel like an outcast saying this, I just don't know who it's for. I just, like you just sit there or stand there and listen to music for two hours. And I know if mm-hmm. I said that on stage, no one would laugh. I don't do it on stage. No one would laugh, especially because there's crossover. People that go to comedy yeah. typically go to music. So I'm like, I have no one to say this to. So I'm saying it to you. Why don't you go to concerts? Uh, Paul Simon definitely said, come see me play. Come see me play. <laughs> and you were like, no. I got um the one I the one I I got invited for some random reason. The U2 manager got in touch with me and said, U2 wants wants you to come to their show in New York and hang out backstage. I was like, mm. nah. <laughs> <laughs> feel badly about that. Feel badly about that. Yeah. You I did. should feel badly about that, shouldn't I? I don't know. That sounds like a man that knows himself. Because so what? <laughs> yes. Well, so to answer your question. <laughs> It's a schlep, A, B, but that's the real answer. The real answer is this, and I suspect it's the same for you. And that is I'm going to engage in a kind of crude, the kind of crude dichotomizing that I love to do, that <clears throat> there are consumers and there are makers. Mm-hmm. And you can have, some people have a foot in both camps, but it's really hard. 
Um, and I'm just not in, I'm into making it. I'm not into consuming it. I just don't, I don't want to sit passively. When I was in college, I figured out halfway through my freshman year that I could get through the balance of my college time without ever going to a lecture. And so I stopped and I never went to another lecture. If you look on my college transcript and you see all the courses I took, I don't even know what the last three and a half years of professors, I don't even know what they look like. <laughs> I never, I'm just, I'm just not, I'll read your book. I'll think thoughts. I'll do research. I'll write your paper. I'll do all that. I'll go to the seminar and have a discussion. I will not sit passively in a seat for 50 minutes and listen to you lecture. I'm just yeah. not doing it. Yeah. It's, and I, I'm not going to, cons- I'm not there to consume. I'm there to, I'm there to learn actively and write papers and have arguments. I am not there to consume. And I sort of carried that over. Um, and also, yeah. I'm going to say nothing. <clears throat> Pro sports is, this is a separate riff. I don't know. Are you a sports fan? I'm not, but don't feel strange. Okay. I tell you how to feel. <laughs> sports. <laughs> I don't go to sports for a very, very specific reason, which is they have such incredible contempt for the people in the seats. I can't deal with it. They have go out of their way to construct a game that violates an experience, that violates every single rule of storytelling. So if you watch a basketball game, they now allow all of these instant replays or a football game, which consume like can, can be three or four minutes where they stop the action and they, and the frequency of these interruptions increases as the game goes on. So just as the game is reaching its climax, Mm. That crescendo. What do they do? They stop it and cut to commercial and have long things of the refs talking to each other under thing. And they think they're making the experience better. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? You've just destroyed. I have just committed two hours of my life to this particular narrative that you right? these people playing a game that I love. And at, just at the point where the excitement level is greatest, you've said, you know what, we're going to stop now. And we're yes. going to argue for five minutes over whether the guy was one inch inbounds or one inch out of bounds. Yes. And then we're going to do it again 30 seconds later. And then we're going to cut to a commercial. And then we're going to have a timeout. And then maybe an hour from now, this thing will end. And I'm like, how, how much content, how stupid How stupid do you think I am? How resolutely unsophisticated, how much of a complete fucking narrative moron do you think I am that I would happily do this again, given the way you have chosen to complete this experience? It drives me up the fucking wall. I will, I will, I used to be a huge, uh, this Sunday, there are football games that I would love to watch. You know what? I really don't think I'm going to watch them because I know they're going to do that to me. They're going to hook me in, and then they're going to piss around for the last 45 minutes. Yes. In theater terms, it's Hamlet going, to be, and then they're like, peanuts! Peanuts! (laughs) Or not to be, yes. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's... And some other sports fans share this, but they still watch watch the game. In other words, they reward their tormentor. Yeah. Why do they do that? I completely get it. You know, it's not exactly the same, but one of the things I enjoyed, I've watched so much of your content, but I, to, in prep for the interview, I watched you on Hot Ones. And I, I didn't watch it because I was in the car driving back from the doctor today. So I just had it on my phone playing through the speaker. Yeah. And the number of commercials, look, Hot Ones is great. I did it. I, I thought it was awesome. It's great. It's also doing great. It can yeah. handle a tiny criticism. The number of ads 
I was, that is a push for me. I was like, he's just about to answer the question. And not only does it cut to an ad, it cuts to an ad I've heard three times. Yeah. We, you, we can get a better ad, get another ad in here. I had yeah. to hear some woman be like, it's going to light your senses on fire seven times and completely ruin the flow of the interview. That is how I can appreciate that. No, no, My no, question, no, we're on the same though, page. These people don't understand they're in the storytelling business. That's right. Like David Mayer. You're about something else. You're not. You're in the storytelling business. Tell a story. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I've heard... Somebody said about pro wrestling is the best theater that's ever existed. David Mamet had that interesting essay about how the best baseball game where the, the home team is up and then they're down and he breaks it down like you would a movie. So well, I, I, I would love to read that, actually. Yeah, it's I, I'm, I'm not doing a good job recapping it, but it's basically what you would expect. You want them to be way up and then way down and then way, way, way down. It's basically yeah. movie structure. Well, and no, no, no. Uh, <clears throat> it's not a movie structure. It's uh, it's a it's a, it's a religious structure. Tell me, everything. it is it is the the uh, the it is the fall from grace, right? So you have the seemingly righteous man who sins, who falls from grace, is is you know is is exiled from his community, is is seemingly irredeemable, and then is redeemed and ultimately lifted back up. By yeah. the virtue of God's grace, that's the classical. That is the that is the, the the classical religious narrative. It's the most powerful one of all, right? It's why it's why we're drawn to why are we drawn to people who are damaged and mm-hmm. who have managed to do something productive out of their damage? Because it's that redemption narrative, the most powerful narrative of all. The person who is lily white and perfect their entire life is not interesting. That's right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I. You're the first guest to bring up uh, religious narratives and even some sort of Christian imagery before me. No, before me. That is, you're so up my... You're so up my alley. We're getting mugged right now. That is, that is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how up my alley we are because it is uh, order, disorder, reorder or death, resurrection. Exactly. Um, and yeah. that, I'm not trying to make myself right. A lot of movies do do that. We love to see hope lost and then we want it to be even more lost. Like he's been in the tomb for yeah. three days. It's fucking over (laughs) judas betrayed him peter betrayed him we watched him bleed out he was stabbed he was whipped he was tortured he's dead he's in the tomb they rolled the stone it's done it's done it's done it's not done and this by the way i'm just saying i hope you enjoy this um this is alexander shia did this podcast and he talked to me about myth he was like myth is always true, sometimes really happened. So what does that mean? It's true in it's true and how it reflects the way that energy moves in the universe. And that is always order, disorder, reorder, over yeah. and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Would Wait, you- this is, so we have, we have unexpectedly drew, uh, 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 entered into a mutual wheelhouse. No one loves a biblical allegory more than me. I and I will, I'm about to give a little sort of self-regarding moment. I was once, I'm friendly with Michael Lewis, the writer, and I was once, you know, he has, whenever he has a book out, I go and I interview him for it. And the last time I did it, um, I, advan- I, I gave him my advanced Malcolm Gladwell theory of Michael Lewis, which was that every one of his books is a biblical allegory. Mm. So um, 
Liar's Poker is Daniel in the Lion's Den. The Blind Side is the Good Samaritan. And I had – I've forgotten all of them. Wow. But I had one for every – and he's not – he was not – you were clearly raised in the church. I Are you just the, based on my face? <laughs> no, based on the fact that you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. I was raised in the non-denominational. You were Methodist, yes. too, right? Uh, Presbyterian and and then Mennonite. Mennonite, um, that's the one, the M one. I'm sorry. Yeah, Michael, not. So I give, and I, I think I am giving him the greatest gift I've ever given a fellow writer. I had been, wor- I had, I had, I had personally workshopped this riff yeah. that I was going to give. Yeah. I had a, I had a biblical equivalent for every one of his books, including the one we were talking about that day. And then you know it ended with, and Michael. Can you guess the biblical allegory of the book you have just written, which was this book about um, the uh, remember here the book about the guys who had uh, that critique of the people who had hacked the stock market, and mm-hmm. I said it's it's you know and I was thinking of it's it's Jesus and the money changers, wow. right? Because his book was all about a guy who was trying to save the stock market by creating a pure stock market, and mm-hmm. it was Jesus saying, "My father's house is a." Is a you know is a sacred place, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. And he cast mm-hmm. out the money changers. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. And I said, "And Michael, what do you think?" That and he just looked at me like, <laughs> "I have no idea. I don't even know what you're talking. I have no idea what you just said." <laughs> well, this is why you're in a you're in a comfy zone right now. There is no film, there is no book that I won't overlay how it's about some divine truth, whether it's biblical or not. I'm like yeah. this story, like uh, the Jason Bourne movies. I was just talking about how that's very Hindu in its, in its, in its philosophy, so, sort of Buddhist as oh, well. That's and so that, interesting. Yeah. The amnesia of it, you have amnesia. It's also Christian. It's Christian mysticism. You forgot that you're divine. I live no longer, not I. You are actually in your deepest DNA, you are God. So how do we anthropomorphize? How do we express that? He knows karate. He's he's invincible. He defies death again and again, again and again and again. And again. It's the same with Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. Who is Ethan Hunt? Ethan Hunt is life. Life cannot be stopped. Life is an impossible mission, yet life keeps winning. We don't always win. Yeah. You and Malcolm yeah. and Pete don't always win, but life always wins. I'm doing a bit about that now. I go, We'll be okay. I don't mean us. I mean life will be okay. Like, yes. but the good yes. news is, and I, we can get into theology. Deep down, I believe you are life. I don't think you're Malcolm. I think you're the expression of life as Malcolm. So you, it's literally true that you will yeah. be okay. Most people just don't know who they are, like Jason Bourne. What do you think? Oh, I love that. Wait, that's <laughs> like. So the whole idea of higher, basically higher, Jason Bourne metaphysics is what we're, yes. is what we're engaged in right now. <laughs> this is so genius. And the most genius thing is the whole, when you, when you introduced him, I was like, okay, what is it? I was like, trying to rush to get the yes, and I couldn't. <laughs> That's how good you are. That's you. You're good. That's good. That's good. This is great. We'll cut you, this you, over <laughs> the Mike Birbiglia part. <laughs> no, no. Because Mike could play this game. I'm not to bring Mike yeah. in, but Mike could play this game. <laughs> no, Mike is Mike and I love talking. Well, you could do it with a lot of things, but I feel like there's only three stories and two of them are covered in the Jesus narrative, it seems. I it's very it's it's very good. I had a here's another one that I had a an argument. I don't uh it's okay to say this. So my co-founder of Pushkin Industries is Jacob. Mm. And we had a an argument. It's all behind it now. We did have a, a pretty big argument not long ago. 
And it had to do with him engaging in what I felt was undue. Um, uh, 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 he was messing with my business. He he was interfering in what I felt to be mine, and I felt not valuing it appropriately. Mm. You see where I'm going with this? His name is Jacob. <laughs> and, and I was like, in my heart, I, so I'm in the middle of an argument, and all I'm thinking about is Jacob and Esau, you sold my birthright for a mess of pottage. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm getting upset. I'm, I really get upset. My, you know, I'm standing up, my voice is, and I'm thinking, back of my mind, I'm thinking, it's Jacob and Esau. This is the whole thing. Just Jacob. Yeah. I, can, I can just short circuit this entire discussion with a reference to the story of Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. but I don't, after my humiliating experience with Michael Lewis, I don't know whether he knows his Old Testament well enough for that yes, to work. Yes, yes. So I, I had to back down. But how often do you get to tell the story of Jacob Esau? And the Jacob in the biblical story is playing the same role as the Jacob in front of you. It was perfect. His name was Jacob. Yes. I love, I thought, when you said Jacob, I was like, oh, he means metaphorically. His, no, no. His, no his he was <laughs> that was why it was so genius. I was like, you can't make this shit up. I have Jacob. I am Esau. Wow. I mean, it was like, you never, anyway. I, can I, just because I I love David and Goliath and I love, I'm going to say your midrash. You do a brilliant midrash on that. And Jacob and Esau is a huge story for me. And I don't mean to put, see, now you're going to hear me walking on eggshells. I don't mean to put my brother down, but I felt when I was younger, I dwelled in tents, Jacob. I was close with the women. I knew how to talk. I knew how to gossip. And my mother I swear to you, Malcolm, this is the this is why the Bible, I know it's been horribly misused yeah. and is is a weapon of destruction for so many. I want to acknowledge that. But for me, knowing like my mom did teach me how to trick my dad into blessing me, into sort of, I don't want to say favoring me, but yeah. at, for the first 15 years of my life, I was the weird, ruddy-cheeked, clammy hand, boob shadow. Uh, you know, I had braces with the rubber bands on it, hammy all the time. And my dad didn't understand. And my brother, I swear to you, he's red. He's a red person and he's hairy, which is Esau. And and my mom, I swear, all but said, just, just play it out. Just play it out. She's like, just, just stay on this path. Oh You'll God. be okay. You don't need to know how to change oil. You don't need to know how to kill a deer. Yeah. You don't know. Just stay golden. I believe in you. And in the long run, I'm not saying my dad prefers me over my brother. That would be ridiculous. But in the long run, it was absolutely true. And my dad was like, hey, this kid's all right. Like he gave me his blessing yeah. for things that he would never have yeah. appreciated not given Wait, the time. This is making your mom sound really interesting. My mom is very interesting. And she's a Lithuanian first generation uh, immigrant uh... who fled uh, World War II. And like, I don't want to say she's conniving, but she's smart. She's not Machiavellian or anything, but she knows what yeah. she wants and she gets it. And she knows what she wants for her kids. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Oh, your mom is Lithuanian. Yeah. Well, I heard you on Conan's podcast and I was like, what's he going to say about Lithuanians? <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> By the way, since we're celebrating other people, yes. I have to say that I, I, I did not like, I didn't appreciate Conan when he did his television show. Mm. But when he started to do his podcast, I realized, oh, he has been horribly miscast for his whole career. He can't do 10 minutes with you. He's got with this way too much yeah. genius and brilliance and craziness. And like, 
but give him an hour with someone and he's fantastic more than fantastic completely agree He's just I, like I'm like, dude. You were you were saved by podcasting. I, I mean, not that he had a terrible, he had a fantastic career, but like now I understand. Like, this is magic. What yeah. you're doing, like yeah. magic. I I mean, we we were talking around the time when he was going to start his podcast, and I was like, I think you're going to discover what we all discover, what a lot of us discovered, and I hope yeah. what you also discovered with revisionist history that it's like, oh my god, it's like whatever you want to do. Like yeah. you can do whatever you want to do. And, and Conan, I think he's great in the short form, but in the long form, you're long like, form. that's the guy. But, yeah. And he can be mean. So on your episode, he's not being mean to you, but he's certainly not letting you off the hook for, <laughs> for making that caricatures. But that's his, his superpower. Is of course. He makes that. Yeah, that's like the... But is he mean on his show? No. When no. he's with me, he's as mean to me as he's mean to Sona. And it's one of the greatest honors of your yeah. life. You just Wait, how of, do you know him so well? Conan, uh, I don't well, you can't say it doesn't matter. I did a talk show that was on after Conan. He gave it to me. Uh, and I was gonna point the the screen because I have the, the little cityscape, the backdrop, but it was called the Pete Home Show. But it was only on for 80 episodes, a little over a year. Yeah. But I was very, very close with him. He's one of those people that gave me a break. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's no, he's he's uh um, I really, 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 I, I enjoyed doing that show with him so much. My, by the end, my, I couldn't go on cause my jaw was aching cause I was laughing so hard. It was like one of those things where I, I'm, you know, I'm, I think you Conan can do this all day long. I cannot. I am, yeah. I am, I'm a newbie when it comes to this guy. This is, this is, this is exhilarating, but it is exhausting. Yeah. You just worn me out. Like yeah. this, you know, well, Conan O'Brien can't stop. That's the perfect name for his documentary and Conan O'Brien can't stop. And that's, yeah. You don't want to, it's, it's a peppermint fountain. Let me, let me go back one click because we both love the, the and not in it, we don't have to get serious. I, I just uh, saw you stop smiling. I was like, fuck, I'm being a bad host because I want you to enjoy this. But I also deeply want to know what, for me, it was a divorce. What, what, where was your death and your rebirth? Because wouldn't you agree that that, that pattern, the, the Jesus uh, story, that, it, we we need to be broken. Uh, Jesus would say the, the grain of wheat has to crack, right? Yeah. Leonard Cohen would say the cracks is where the light comes in. Yeah. So here's Malcolm, well-meaning, you're going to college, everything's going well. But what what killed you that you could be reborn? And it doesn't have to be salacious. I'm just curious. Huh. Uh, well, I did, you know... Uh, I have had a surprising number of near-death experiences for someone who's lived a very unexciting life. Um, mm. uh, and this, the most recent of which was not that recent, but um, as a kid, I, uh, on at least three occasions, came within seconds of, of oh. instant death. Could um, you, I'm sorry, I just I don't want you to go too fast. I actually have on my notes, have you ever almost died? That's one of my go-to questions. Four times. Four times. And I'm just going to, I'm going to sprinkle this on top. Clearly you've considered the implications of male initiation is usually something to help the boy think he's going to die because young men typically need to be yes. uh, trimmed in some way. Yes. They think they're invincible. Yeah. And I just want to sprinkle that on top as you tell me about one of them or all of them. Uh <clears throat> One when I well the first one would be when I was a little boy, was hiking with my father and in the winter we were hiking along a gorge and I slipped, 
and went down the edge of the gorge, which is all ice, and there's a kind of wide um, charging river at the bottom. Had I gone in the river, I would be, it was in the middle of it, I would be dead. And wow. I, for reasons we don't understand, I stop like an inch from the water's edge. Like I shouldn't have because it was a sheer ice drop and I was zooping down like I was, that was, that's sort of like weird. That's like, seems like there's divine intervention. That was, that's the, that's the miracle one. That's a, that's um, a cliche. I, I went on missions trips, uh, one of them to the Amazon jungle and they'd tell me stories, a canoe going towards the past. And then at the last second, a current going the complete wrong way. That's how it's not a cliche, but it's almost a trope that that is such a miracle story. And yeah. wow. Amazing. That was it. So that's early on. But the last one was the most, I had a, um, I had a, some kidney infection and lost a lot of weight and was quite sick. And they gave me drugs and they gave me antibiotics and I took the antibiotics and I had a rare reaction to the antibiotic. But I was traveling at the time and also it never, and as a result of the reaction, I got sicker and sicker. But I thought that the, I was getting sicker and sicker because the drugs hadn't kicked in yet, so I needed to keep taking the drugs. And <clears throat> I got to the point where I had a fever that was raging out of control, and this is, this is sort of gross, but one of the side effects of this particular antibiotic reaction is what's it's called Steven Johnson syndrome, and your the, the, the roof of your mouth starts to ulcerate. Mm. So I have an ulcerated mouth and a raging fever. I'm in a Marriott in San Francisco, and isn't that that's the worst part actually this is actually that's, that's the, you're in a that's the near death experience is actually not Stephen. it is the marriott and, and <laughs> i had i had dinner plans with an old friend of mine named ann who was married to a doctor and there is no i had 99 reasons to cancel dinner yeah and because i'm I don't know, an idiot, or in this case, smart. You're I, in the good mood that only the Marriott can provide. Yes. I was like, you know what? I'll go to dinner with him. Even though I have a, a fever of a hundred and something on, my mouth is ulcerated. I can barely eat. I've yeah. lost, you know, I'm, I am barely, I crawl to dinner and my friend's husband, my, my friend as well, Chris looks at me and says, you okay? I was like, and I tell him, he goes, what are you taking? I named the antibiotic. He goes, oh, you should stop taking the antibiotic. You're in the middle of a massive antibiotic reaction. It's like, oh, wow. Now, had I not gone to dinner, I would have continued. I would have died. It's uh, it's invariably fatal. Not invariably. It's often fatal. But Whoa. The point, is, the point is, you usually people usually stop. And I was convinced that it was the drugs were what were going to help me. So it's very very plausible. And it took me uh, to fully recover from that. Took years. You mean emotionally? No, physically. Physically, in all kinds of ways that I won't go into. It, the, that whole experience was de- was debilitating physically. I lost thirty pounds. Well, Malcolm, you could you could lose a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like one of the most like if if the Pictionary clues Malcolm Gladwell. I'm drawing a stick figure. It's a thin man. It's a thin I'm a man. thin man. I was you're a thin, thin man. man. You didn't have. Hun- I went from 155 to 125 pounds in the space of. About three months. I hate this. Tell me, but tell me what those deaths, oh, what so those what reminders, what did it, did it reframe your reality? Did it change? Did. did. Tell did. me. In a way that I wouldn't have been able to, f- 
articulate at the time. Um, but I think that it, uh, uh, it, it reduced my level of self-confidence by 50%, which is probably a good thing because I, was, I think I had an excess at that age. We're talking about my late 20s here, early, early 30s. Yes. Um, this is and, around the age I was that my agent would call me and say, you had that general meeting, tone it down. Like literally, I'm just trying to reinforce the point that there are necessary humiliations. I like pointing out that humiliation and humble, same root, humble, like shut the fuck up. We're we're all confused. We all die. We're all scared. Stop walking around like like a YouTube celebrity or something like with the confidence of a 21 year old TikTok star. Like it's not appropriate. Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> um, so yes it had that effect um, it, does it I think it encouraged me if I was to be really really introspective I suppose I would say I think it encouraged me to take more chances mm. like to not be as I stopped sort of caring as much about my day to day situation so you know, I was at that point in my life working for the Washington Post, which was at that point the safest place to work in American journalism. I mean, well-paid, cushy job, not not demanding, you know, lot big, you know, all the things you would want. And I left it not long thereafter because I realized I wasn't really interested in a lot of those things. So they didn't, mm. I didn't value them in the way that I had before. And I suspect that it's something to do with this kind of searing um, experience that I had gone through. Bigger picture. Bigger yeah. picture. You, I, I I'm, hope I'm not forcing this connection, but there was a time when I was at a club in New York called the Boston Comedy Club, and I was grinding it out. And uh, I've heard you say newspapers are a great place to learn how to write because you have to, it's a volume business. Mm-hmm. S- significantly, I, Conan said the same thing about having a talk show. He's like, it's a volume business. You just got to keep doing it. You keep, Don't look forward, don't look back. Just keep doing it, keep doing it. And at the end, the mosaic of it will be beautiful. Um, and I had a similar time when I was like, I don't think this is what I want. And then I was lucky that the club closed because I was probably too scared to tell them I don't need this anymore. So that's very, very interesting that to me, a reframing, for mine, it was, like I said, it was a divorce, but something that tells you like, everything is temporary. So Mm -hmm. what are you doing, doing something that you don't want to do? Is that fair? Yeah. Wait, why did, maybe this is a dumb question. Why did the divorce have that? Because I played by the rules. Uh, the good evangelical boy rules. I got married when I was 22 as the only person I had ever slept with, all that classic stuff. And I, I wrote this in my book. I felt like God was like the mafia. This is a very infantile way of looking at God, but I had paid my protection so bad things shouldn't happen. And then someone burned down my bakery. And I'm like, well, what am I paying all this protection to God for? Because nobody had introduced me to the concept of, I forget, I think it's in Jeremiah, I, the Lord, no, it's in Isaiah. I create the dark and the light. I, I create life and I create. Nobody had showed me these verses that show that God is all things, that God is mm-hmm. in the suffering as well. I mean, the symbol of the religion is a naked man bleeding to death. And still no one had explained to me mm-hmm. that it's the God through with suffering. It's, it's God is suffering with you, in you, as you, 
when you're suffering. I thought he was over there falling asleep on 9-11, getting drunk when my wife left, all these different things, completely ridiculous. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love, because we only have a little bit of time left, I'd love to talk to you about uh, faith. Here's why though, mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're, you're a smart guy, uh, I love religion, well, I don't love religion. I love Christ very, very much. I find a lot of meaning in these things. And when I meet, I don't know if you know who Richard Rohr is. He's a, he's a Franciscan author. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you do. He's, he's changed my life. When I meet people that can speak beautifully about metaphor, about myth, about non-dual thinking, about suffering, about embracing other traditions, and their, their life is enhanced by having a faith, I, I just couldn't give you the floor more on that topic. If anything I said made you think of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I have many, 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 many thoughts on this subject. One would be um, not not all of them may be terribly original, but um, I guess I am more if I compare myself to people who do not have um, any kind of respect for faith. Um, what I think I see that they don't is the number of things that are made of seemingly impossible things that are made possible by faith. So I've become, for example, recently really, really, really obsessed with the idea of forgiveness. What does forgiveness mean in practical terms in the way we live our lives today? And I'm struck more and more by its absence in the way we conduct ourselves. And, um, you know, does forgiveness mean that I, on a you know, how do I feel about sending someone to prison after being convicting them of a crime? Um, and I've become really uncomfortable with that, even with the most heinous crimes, because uh, forgiveness granted after they've served a 30-year sentence isn't really a very good forgiveness, is it? It's like it's 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 not top shelf. That is forgiveness, some well it's forgiveness. Not, no, right it's, there. <laughs> it's, it's like forgiveness is a dish best served cold. Is that what that's what that's about? Oh like, my god! <laughs> I'm going to interject because I think you're going to like it. I believe it's a rabbinical teaching, and all an all knowing God is an all forgiving God, and I'm, yeah. and that is in line with what I've heard you say about success. That trees grow because other trees weren't blocking their light, and a, a rabbit wasn't eating your your sapling, and all that stuff. And in the same way, when you see what leads to acts of, of crime, an all-knowing God is an all-forgiving God. Here's another yeah. one, and then I'm going to keep let you keep mm -hmm. going, please. Hell is a lack of imagination. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's I changed it. it. It was hate is a lack of imagination. I changed it to hell is a lack of imagination. Yeah. I think those are applicable here. 30 yeah. years later, that's garbage forgiveness. Yes! Yeah, it's garbage forgiveness. Um, <laughs> and also... <clears throat> It's also the other thing about it, while I'm on this particular narrow theme of, of imprisonment, you know, the, if you talk to anyone, any social scientist who studies imprisonment, they will tell you that the, the victim, the real victim of imprisonment is not just, is the family of the person who goes to prison. Mm. That's the worst thing you can do to a child. It's almost, it might be worse in some sense than having a parent die, um, is having a parent go to prison. So... We're willing to do this. The consequences of withholding forgiveness are not just that we take a person out of, take away someone's life for 30 years, but we also are harming an innocent, a wholly 100% innocent party. And we do that 
Not because we don't know. We know we are harming them. Mm. And we say, to hell with it. I don't care. We're still going to go ahead with this. Mm. Um, and that strikes me as being cruelty on a level that I, hadn't, I wouldn't have thought we were capable of. Um, and I don't think the only I think I don't think there's any path towards that kind of grander forgiveness that is not explicitly religious. I don't think you can get there anywhere else. There's no other institution, there's no other body of knowledge that will lead you to that most difficult of places. You either you have to sort of believe in God to go there, is my point. I don't think you can do that other, any other way. That's what Richard Orr puts it this way. He says, um, it's sort of the, the Velcro Teflon thing. <clears throat> would rather take a negative thing than a positive thing, neurologically speaking. But also, like, as a whole, the human imagination just can't accept the prodigal son. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. We can't. And he goes, so you have to leave it to the divine imagination. I find this yeah. one of the most liberating things is I have moments, and I'm sure you do, where I see the interconnectivity. I feel the love. I feel a participation in a grand symphony or a great dance that has horrors as well. But I feel at home in the, in the world and my brain will go like, it's probably bullshit. You're probably just headed to, to nothing and pain and death and it sucks and there's no point. And, and somebody, it must have been Richard, taught me like, your brain sometimes can't really come on the journey. It's just too wired. It's the brain that wants to send people to prison. It's the heart that goes, wait, I think there God is a lover, not a tormentor. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? So Mm -hmm. we need those. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I think we need, and the other thing is I don't think at a certain point in my life, I came to realize that the, not the only, but an overwhelming majority of the happiest people I knew were happy because of their faith. Mm. Um, and there's a point at which there's not, it's no longer a coincidence that you have to understand there's a causal connection that it was cap- there was a that their faith was capable of giving them a kind of joy that nothing else could provide. Mm. Um, a lot. I mean, a lot of that has become meaningful to me as I have become you know, financially successful in a way that no member of my family has ever been. And I've had to deal with the fact, you know, this is a cliche, but that my expectation about what wealth would bring me um, was false. And that I'm a lot richer than my dad ever was, but I'm not happier than my dad. My dad, can I show you? My father, who I love talking about, who died a few years ago, but who was just a magnificent hilarious, wacky guy. Um, but he, I remember once having a conversation with him about retirement. And I said, are you going to be okay? You, you know, he goes, oh yeah, I got a lot of money in the bank. I said, how much money do you have to make? He goes, I have $100,000 in savings. Now, for many people, that's a lot of money. But for me, it's not, you know, relatively speaking, Right. If I were to retire with, if I would be sixty-five and have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, I'd be terrified. Yeah, I would say right. if I'm live to eighty-five, I gotta get, I gotta live on a hundred thousand plus social, you know. But for him, it was like, no, it's like, um, what he was really saying is, it's not the amount of money I have that gives right. me the peace to do this. I have something else that's much bigger and more powerful. And it was that understanding that we, he didn't, he wasn't even, he didn't understand the question. Mm. He thought I was asking him, will you feel safe and protected and comfortable in retirement? And his answer was, well, of course. For goodness sake, I've, I'm in cahoots with the most powerful thing there is. Right. 
And I was asking him a question about dollars. And I don't think he'd even thought about what the dollar, the do, you know, hundreds of whatever, like who cares, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, and that was really, that was a very important, like, moment to realize that I was just asking the wrong question. And that, but again, I don't think you get to the place that my father was at without faith. Mm -hmm. I, it, I think go ahead. it's impossible. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible or it's hard. It's hard. Not impossible. It's hard. Well, wouldn't we say, you know, again, I'm quoting Richard, but he says like faith is not believing unbelievable things. It's actually the opposite. Faith is having certainty in the unknowing. It's finding a certain, and this sounds like what your dad had, a certain heldness it's like an awareness that you're in a river, you know, and the river is a loving river. And like yeah. I was saying earlier, your dad died, right? I, I, I didn't mean to say that with glee. I just mean mm. your dad died. So a, a real hardcore rationalist could be like, so fucking what? You die. You die. He died. Yeah. That's sort of what Christianity is to me. It's how to lose graciously. Again, that's Richard Rohr. Richard mm -hmm. Rohr says the point of Christianity is to learn how to lose graciously because we, we're all losing. It's all, as I love to say, it's all written on running water. Or as the Buddhists love to say, it's all impermanent. It's all on fire is actually what Buddha said. The world is on fire. So, yeah. it, and this is Christ. Don't put your treasure where moth and rust will corrupt it. It sounds like, I, no wonder you love talking about your dad. If you meet mm. someone who's converted, who knows where the real secret stash is, and it's the love that's looking out your eyes, it doesn't matter if you're dying or rich or poor, fame, shame, blame, it's all the same. That's Ramdas. That's mm. conversion. And mm. that is, help me, help me unpack this. That's way more than he thought he was going to heaven. You know what I'm saying? We've mm. turned religion into this horrible win lose bad play of malcolm you love the lord uh ricky gervais doesn't so ricky's fucked and malcolm that's why you're happy you're gonna get yeah. your comeuppance when you're dead we'll see who's laughing when i'm dead yeah i'm saying as loud as i fuck that shit a truly converted person knows that it's heaven this is richard it's heaven all the way to heaven it's hell all the way to hell it's not about afterlife outcomes it's about the eternal present right now and when you feel held it is heaven, even if you're in line at the airport enterprise and it looks like four hours before you get in your coup, right? That's a converted person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to quibble a little bit with the idea that, that, that faith would give you the ability to wait for four hours at the airport enterprise. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> dude, get on the number one. What's the, what's the like, uh, I'm Hertz number one. I don't I Just go get the car. There's a way around this. Just call them up. Yeah, no, that's true. No, that's very practical. We need both. We need the non-dual mystical mind, but we also need the guy that goes, Hertz has the Advantage Plus program. You just walk out and get in the car. You just grab the car. Just you, grab you just the go, car. You just go there and go. The <laughs> it's it's very, very, use, very, very useful. Well, tell me, tell me, because, Malcolm, let's say there are people listening that think you mean an old man in the sky, that think mm. you mean a bad reward punishment system. Here I am assuming you don't. Maybe you mm -hmm. do. Uh, tell me about this this symbol or, or this thing or this idea that you believe in. And could you dissuade those people, or maybe you don't, that it's not about just a reward after you die, that it's about how you're talking to me right now, how present you're being right now? Yeah. Is it? Tell me. Uh, you just what read. is it? I mean, I mean, that's an, it's a very difficult... 
uh, I guess I would say that, you know, the idea that it is about some unknowable future reward um, is uh, undersells. It's like, you know, it's not a layaway plan. Um, it, and it also absolves you of what is of both the hard, the interesting and the fun part, which is working it out in the here and now. Mm. Um, and in thinking about a lot of this, you know, the thing that my, to go back to my father, my father was a mathematician, so a deeply intellectual person who came by his faith by the root of his rationality, not his, I wouldn't describe him as a spiritual person. I mean, he was in a certain, he wasn't, certainly wasn't emotional or mystical or any of those things. He's a mathematician who liked to garden and walk the dog. Um, and, you know, who thought his wife was the most beautiful woman he ever saw and enjoyed laughing at, you know, his kids' jokes. That's <laughs> basically what his what he was about. And he was very much about things in the present the that you and that you found your job was to find joy and meaning in the little particulars of your life and to arrange the universe just a little bit better for those around you and that you should do that in the same spirit as you did the things that that were the conventional sources of happiness so mm. you know at the end of his life I bought him a nice car he was very happy with a nice car but he would have exactly the same attitude towards the nice car as he would about you know helping somebody who needed help or like you know what I mean like it was that kind of he just thought it was all part of the project of being in the world mm. um, well, you, well, you know what that is that's that's holiness it's w-h-o-l-e yes. yeah. holiness is yeah. seeing I'm helping this or I'm getting a car it's all it's all what's happening. It, yeah. And and Richard Rohr, another great Richard Rohr quote, he says, how you do anything is how you do everything. So mm-hmm. how we wait in line at the enterprise. My example is I, I was on a flight to Hawaii and we landed 15 minutes early. And uh, and then the pilot got on and he was like, unfortunately, the gate's not ready. We're going to have to wait 15 minutes. So, And then the guy next to me, I'm in first class. I'm just trying to paint a picture of how privileged mm-hmm. and lucky we are. The guy next to me or across from me goes, well, then what was the point of being early? Like, he's like mad. What was the point of that? And I said out loud to myself, dude, the beach won't save you. If you're not happy on the plane, being handed warm nuts and watching (laughs) any movie you'd like to watch in a huge seat, you're going to be the same miserable prick at the beach. I'm sorry. I'm a miserable prick too in my head sometimes too. So I'm not saying he's he's unique. People like that remind me, those two thoughts you had remind me of a a minor fantasy that I've had for years, which is imagine the following scenario. You're the flight attendant. So you have firsthand experience of that guy. He's I'm guessing he was unpleasant at other points during the six-hour flight. And so the only way he's getting through the flight is he's watching the movies on that are provided for him on his screen, okay? Mm-hmm. So what if one of the things you could do as a flight attendant is monkey with the selection? So <laughs> 4A is just being a real jerk. So what we're going to do yes. is we're going to swap out his movies, and it's nothing but like German experimental the- you know, fil- uh, th- uh, film from the 1950s. <laughs> So we're getting them, or just a lot of a lot of like Bergman and like you yeah. know 
Klaus, whatever his name is. You know, just like, I don't even know the names. <laughs> Mank with no sound. You can watch we, Mank, no sound. And we, you know, and he doesn't know. He thinks it never occurred. He, doesn't, he thinks that's what, and you just go up to me and he complains. You just, no, it's like, no, no, it's the policy of this airline that we're going to help our our customers explore the best in <laughs> post-war, post, <laughs> post-war film studies. To your point of winding <laughs> me up about Berbiglia, the best part would be telling him, no, this is Delta's policy. We love silent films. Yeah. You I should see Birth of a Nation. I'm I don't sorry. know if you know, but our, our new CEO is a huge film buff and has taken it on himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> as, a, as a company, we have come to believe there's something deeply wrong with the whole Disney enterprise. That's, <laughs> that's, we've decided to take a stand, sir. <laughs> Enjoy, don't look now. Yeah. I know your neighbor is watching Hobbs and Shaw, but you get Donald Sutherland right. losing a child. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of like that sort of subtle because this is actually looks into an, uh, an, a much more serious point which is I was chatting with a friend of mine who is the business side of a restaurant chain um, and uh, she said one of the things that's happened after the pandemic is that she runs very fancy restaurants before when the the rich the, when the hedge fund guy in the corner was being an asshole to the waiter you sided with the hedge fund guy I'm sorry sir we'll get you a new blah, blah. she's like now they you can't do that anymore now you have to side with the waiter she says, she says secretly, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's like everyone has realized, oh, my God, we, for years we thought the yeah. way to build a successful restaurant and happiness all around was to, was to make the customer always right. And now they're mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. The way to happiness, you know, truth and joy is to admit to the – tell the customer when he's not right. When he's being an asshole, and mm. don't you dare speak to my waiter that way, sir. You have to leave. She's wow. like, the level of improvement in the yeah. life of that restaurant is incalculable. Yeah. I'm like, this, this is so fantastic. How did we not? How did it take a pandemic for us to understand this? <laughs> that you need to respect the little guy. Like it's it's amazing to me. It's the same <laughs> thing with comedy. When I was starting, it was like, hey, you got to roll with the heckles. Like it's just part of it. And yeah. now. One heckle, and there's a security person getting that person out of there. It's 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 pretty wonderful. I know comedians aren't as low status maybe as a, a server might feel, uh, but let me let me steer you back. What what do you have an image or an idea of of the god that you believe in? Here's your your dad, uh, got it by his intellect and his reason, and yeah. What what is yours? And if you'd like, I. Clearly, Malcolm, I have a million prompts if you'd like to respond to some of mine. But when you say I believe in God, which it sounds mm. like you do, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, mine is more about uh, the, I guess it's sort of a version of my father's, but it is, I see God in the joy that I, we, we, I thought of this recently because um, uh, we did this, you know, this book uh, with Paul Simon where we sat down with him and called Miracle and Wonder, which is coming out. Um, sat down there for hours and it's this kind of like it's him talking and playing and us, are, you know, arguing with him and me spinning theories about him. And it's this sort of weird, wonderful thing. And we gave him a copy to read. <clears throat> and he said, I really like it, but I have an issue with the chapter on Graceland. 
And in the chapter on Graceland, I'd spent a lot of time talking about the controversy about Graceland. He's like, you know, if you're free to talk about all the controversy you want, it was real, but you didn't talk at all. It was genuinely wounded is too strong a word, but he was like, you didn't talk about the joy that we felt in making that album. And it is rare that I have received feedback that it was, I mean, I felt, I was like, oh my, he's 100% right. And what, what a mis- what a, what an error to have made on my part to have written a book about a genius musician and, have, and in discussing his greatest work, I left out the joy. And in answer to your question, in that moment, I was like Peter denying God. Mm. Right? Is it Peter? Mm-hmm. It's Peter. It's Peter. Yeah. Cock crow. Peter. Yeah. yeah. I was denying God. I, was, I looked at evidence of God's genius and I, I didn't see it. I was so caught up in the controversy over this and that and the death bomb threats and the blah, 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 blah. Missed the joy. How can you miss mm. the joy? Mm. Like, you, I mean, Paul yeah. was in his rights to be furious with me. He wasn't. Mm. He was because he's way too. And I, we went back and we put the joy back in. Um, mm. And in actually a lovely way because we called up um, the the uh, uh, Begiti Kumalo, who was the the um, South African guitarist who we worked with on Graceland, who's just marvelous, and we just we got a long interview with him, and he he was like this. He was just all about the joy. He was like this thing was a miracle. I mean, like mm. this random guy we'd never heard of descends on Johannesburg, and we you know tells the world about South African music. We made something beautiful. It changed all of our lives. South Africa was suddenly on the map, you know, in the middle of the darkest period in our life, in the middle of apartheid. Mm. Little Paul Simon shows up and, you know, next thing you know, I mean, it was like he made you and like and making it was like there was no script. They just showed up. Paul was like, let's just play, see what happens. Even the lyric, I'm going to Graceland, was a stand in lyric. It was it wasn't meant to be the lyric. It was wow. just something they, that he would sing. I'm going to Graceland, just so he could sing something while they were playing. Wow. And then after a while, he was like, you know, that's really that's kind of it's sort of interesting, right? right. right. But like, <clears throat> it's all that. Like, the chapter now is you read it and you're like, to go back to God, that's God. Like that's God's presence in the world. It's like he's sitting in this room orchestrating this magic that has brought joy to. Tens, I mean, maybe even hundreds of millions of people. Like, mm-hmm. that's what. And my dad, my dad would have said that. I think he would have said, only he would have talked about flowers and dogs and that's and math equations. We were just my Val and I were just talking about how we love trees and really what a tree is doing is it's reaching up to light. You know what I mean? It's another like Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, a tree is like a great symbol of an openness and a, and a drinking up of life. And Graceland as an album sound, it's almost like, does this album live on photosynthesis? It seems like it would absorb and consume light and obviously give light. So to, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. When we talk about the yearning of the universe and no one can say that the universe is not yearning. You might use a less yeah. poetic word, but life wants to be. And that's just sort of something that we take for granted. You know what I mean? Like, of course, cells are splitting and seeds are blossoming and everything. This thing is churning forward. And that, if I could imagine how it might feel to be churning forward, we would say 
love or joy and Graceland, it, it doesn't surprise me that you saw God in pure, let's just play creativity. If the universe is saying anything, it seems to be saying, let's just play, right? Yeah, yeah. No, so that's, that's I love that the, the, the yearning to be is a great yeah. thing to mean when you mean God. Wait, can we, uh, can we bring this back to Mike Babiglia? Just yeah. <laughs> But now Mike, we've got Mike. If you're listening, if oh, he's listening. Oh, he's listening, and he's he was listening. waiting for me to say that. He was yeah. waiting. He was oh, like yeah. waiting. He's like, he's when cackling. are they going to He's eating pizza and he's cackling. <laughs> Mike is one of my dearest friends. I talk to Mike. I, how are you with friends? I don't have friends. I, I because of this podcast, I, yeah. I sometimes say it's sort of sad. There's 400 people I could have dinner with, but that's different from a friend. Mike is mm. somebody I call when I'm depressed, I call Mike when I'm blue or struggling or, or can't find my why. Yeah. Do you, are you, uh, a, because I, it goes back to the, I can't go to concerts. It's hard for me to just consume like you. I do agree with you. And sometimes friends, I'm too practical. I'm like, what am I going to hear about your problems? This is sort of fucking up. <laughs> like, and then, and then I'll give you advice and you won't do it. You know what I mean? Like I get very caught up in, <laughs> Like friendship should like pay out almost. And yeah. I, my wife is very good at being friends and I'm watching how she does it. Like she'll be talking about a friend of hers that wants to break up with somebody and then they don't do it. And I'm like, well, doesn't that bother you? You gave them a three hour breakup conversation. And then they, this is a hypothetical by the way, but I'm just saying, and then they don't do it. And she's like, no, that she understands that it's not the results. It's the process. It's like that. Yeah. How are you with friends? A small number of <clears throat> close ones who um, one of my best friends is my neighbor and also works in the same building I work in. He's downstairs as we speak. Mm. Um, so it's very, that kind of, where there's physical proximity and it's very casual, that's that, what I like. I, I, I dislike the kind of having to schedule everything kind of friendship. And what I like is the kind of Oh my God! You know, at four o'clock, what are you doing tonight? You want to? You guys want to come over, kind of thing. You're a um, New York person. This is what I loved about New York too. It's like, why would we make plans? Now I'm in LA. I have to make a dinner plan three weeks in advance. Yeah. That feels very Manhattan to me. We could have done. I was just in LA. We could have done this in LA. Fuck I was shit! Just, I left. I left on uh, on the weekend. What a what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there. I was there like for four days, and two of those days, I really didn't really have anything to do. I was just kind of like. Wandering. I mean, I had things oh to do, but my, God. my evenings, I I took myself. Here's what I did. I one night I took myself to um, that horrible restaurant in Brentwood. Brentwood, uh, Baltair. Baltair, I don't know it. You're Never not in Brentwood. Not I was in Brentwood. Brentwood. I went to just like the a kind of restaurant that, like, in your wildest imaginings, you could not remember. Horribly overpriced. I was the only one in the whole restaurant, male or female, without plastic surgery. Um, I'm sitting at the bar trying to read a book, and like everyone's looking at me like, what's that in your hands? Like, I don't think. Oh, my God. Are you, picking, are you picking a new nose? Is that <laughs> what that is? Yeah. I'm being a snob. But like it was, it was like the worst of L.A. That's where you would have taken your dad as a joke. As a No, I couldn't. Yeah. No, he wouldn't even. No. He would have been so appalled. Really? You know, the, the bill came to like $150 for one person, which is, it was, yeah, and I didn't need anything. It was yeah. like one of those places. Like, what am I doing? Uh -huh. But of course you can't, I 
discovered you can't in LA you can't whimsically at six o'clock decide you want to eat somewhere. Yeah. Everything's like crazy, whatever. Yes. So, and then I did that I, one other night. So I had two free dinner nights. I could have had dinner with you. I, I in fact was I'm, just I squandered them in the terrible <laughs> restaurants in Brentwood. Well, look, I've even I can't remember where I went the other night. I've removed it from my memory. Oh, that's how forgettable it was. I'm I'm actually your setup is so nice that I feel like we're hanging out. But to your point earlier. And my point, it's guitar underwater. It's not quite the same, is it? It's not quite the same. I, uh, I'm i filled with fury. I have a guest, by the way. Your dad, on Conan, you said your dad had dinner or talked about gardening in the bar of the Mercer yes, Hotel, yes. which is why I joked that you would take your dad to that restaurant. Yeah. You said you like to put him up in fancy hotels and he talked to an old British actor. Yeah. I was like, is anyone guessing Anthony Hopkins? Is that ridiculous? For some reason, I immediately uh, pictured Anthony Hopkins. No one has guessed Anthony Hopkins. Here's your Anthony Hopkins. Can you see him? And, and the little cherry tomatoes. And the, <laughs> you twist them off. You, all, you must twist them. You must twist them. What's your dad's name? Graham. Graham, you must twist them. Am I right? You must twist them. Have you ever seen Westworld? <laughs> At the end, he, he does the most on Anthony Hopkins thing. Who saw one movie his entire life? It, it was a movie what? called Green for Danger in the 1940s. He had no, he wouldn't even, that's the thing, he wouldn't even have begun to understand who Anthony Hopkins was. None of, years, none of the people, someone made a very strong case for um, Bill Nye. Not Bill Nye, the science guy, but isn't there a British actor called Bill, N-I-G-H? Oh, maybe. Nahi or I only Nahi. know the science guy. No, no, there's another, he was in um, um, Love Actually. He's the. Oh. He's a tall, skinny, kind of, someone thought it was him. <clears throat> Made a strong case for that. But um, I'm open to suggestion. There's a, there's a, there's a, a strong contingent who claims it was, um, it could be Ringo Starr or. Um, He's got to know a Beatle, right? No, your dad wouldn't have known a because that's what Conan known, said. He, he said George Harrison. He would have, George Harrison, yes. He yeah. would not have, he would have known conceptually who the Beatles are. Yes. But he would not have known. He, 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 no clue. He, would, he just not just didn't 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 travel in that world. No television. <laughs> no, like completely, like no understanding of popular culture at all. He like, sounds like my kind of guy. I would have loved heaven. to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. no, it's heaven, heaven. Yeah. Can I? Here's a here's a hot here's a hot question. I was excited to ask you. What have you removed from your life that's made you happier lately? Well, or in the just, last I answered years? that question earlier. Football. Uh, I didn't like that answer, though. I was unsatisfied with that answer. Right, how dare, how answer. dare you try to humiliate what, me? What have I removed <laughs> from my life that's made me happier? I don't know. I, I don't was, think I've... I've been adding things, not removing things. Really? I didn't think there was so little before that I had room to grow. Interesting. Um, Why? Then I have another question. Okay. And this is leading, but sometimes I wonder if I'm on the spectrum and it's because I can be so, I don't like making plans. I like kind of flowing around. I don't want things to overcomplicate my life. Do you ever think that you're not neurotypical? We don't have to diagnose it, but do you see yeah. yourself looking at the world and going, I'm not sure. Let's, let's, this is why it's leading. That's how I feel. I go like, oh. when my phone vibrates, I hate it. I don't, I, I don't go like, ooh. And I'm watching most people, they're trying to find ways to, get on their phone more it freaks me out 
if I find a restaurant I like, I'll just go back to it. <laughs> like a lot of that sort of stuff. Any yeah. of that feel familiar? No, I'm not very emotionally volatile. Mm. Um, and no, running, I, my personality is defined by the fact that I'm a runner. And running is all about the same, it's about the same process, which is if you imagine <clears throat> a spool of string and you're uncertain about how much string you have and you have to unwind it, what you are doing is you're, if you unwind it too quickly, you'll run out of string. It'll all be gone, right? Mm. If too slowly, you'll leave a lot in the, too much left in the ball and you won't have enough string to use. But if you unwind it at the perfect pace, then it'll be, it'll last the entire time you're unspooling your, this is a very, this is not a very good uh, metaphor. I actually, that's how I do a lot of things. That's how I eat. You know what I mean? You're you're trying to like maximize the the length yes. of the pleasure and your resources. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But so yours is you, yours is healthy. Mine is like if I yours, stop yes, now, yours, I can have cake. Yours is a bag of potato chips. How could yes. I drag this out? Mine is like out in <laughs> out in nature, pushing myself. Yes. So, but running it's that constant and it's an end for runners. This is an endlessly fascinating question. How fast can I run at this pace? If I'm intending to run seven miles and I'm running at this current pace, can I make seven miles? Will mm. the string last until seven? If I'm running at ten miles today. How much do I have to take slow down to make 10 work? If mm -hmm. I'm racing where I want to go the fastest possible and I, you know, what's my first lap going to look like, right? This is totally boring for people who are not runners. I, For runners, I this is it. insanely interesting. This, this titration of effort, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. just physical effort. It's titration of mental effort because you have to prepare yourself mentally for what, for the kind of, uh, the cadence that you're going to adopt, um, and that spills over into your life. So, runner, you can't be emotionally volatile and be a distance runner. It doesn't work. Like you can't, you can't have an explosion because you've thrown off the titration, right? You've, if you have an explosion in a race, you're done. You, you'll, you, you know, you. It's so much to race the first lap of a race, even five percent faster than you should have, means that you. Are, you've compromised the entire effort, right? It's so deviations from the optimal pace are so costly that you just learn to do everything in your power to avoid the deviation. Ooh, ooh. So you get into the real world, and what do you not want to do? You don't want to deviate. And the world's constantly tempting you into these deviations. And as a runner, you're like, hmm, I'm just going to wow. wait two minutes and it'll pass. And it, typically it does. And so... It What's an example a, of a life to you? Sorry, it takes a... It takes a lot to get me worked up. I can get worked up, but you really have to push and push mm. and push and push um, before you'll get me to deviate. I love it. And I was wondering, what is like a life deviation temptation? Because I'm, I'm with you. Lately, I've just been going like, it's just sensation. Like something's happening that goes like, you should do this. This is what mindfulness is. This is what meditation teaches as well. And, and running is certainly a moving meditation. Yeah. You just go like, yeah. you know what, man? Everything that comes goes, so don't take it too seriously, right? Like, yeah. I, like I'll have it with a, a sugar craving. I want to eat a pint of ice cream. And then maturity to me is going, 
Lara bites when we play out the tape, you're going to have heartburn, you're going to sleep like shit, you're going to feel bad. At my age, that's all true. So I love that learning. What is what is one of the sirens calling you to the rocks that you have to say no to? Well, it would be judging someone. Mm. Right? The Everything in you is tempted to render your judgment immediately and not to wait. Mm. And the runner says... Why don't you just wait until the end of the race? What's the... This is contemplation, by the way. Yeah. Do you know the Christian yeah. practice? It's the contemplative mind. It's the runner's mind. Malcolm, you've done yeah. it. <laughs> I don't mean you've, you've mastered it, but it just, it actually is giving me joy to hear that like my whole life is trying to recognize what is just a pattern, a habit, a conditioned response that 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 I'm just it's just a deep groove in my brain you look this way I, and you're probably an idiot and how can I step out of that and you're telling me that like the running process teaches you to like breathe I it is I had thought of it so explicitly it is just medit- it's just med- it is just meditation it's just a mm. form of it has all the same um outcomes mm. uh and it's teaching you the same things but this the idea of waiting to me, so much of happiness is, is associated with patience. Mm. Um, you know, is understanding that things usually aren't what they seem, and they probably have just have to wait for a while to figure out what they really are. And the longer you wait, probably is the better. And you will like a lot more people if you wait longer to pass judgment on them. That mm. um, your first impression of someone is usually false. Um, you know, all those kinds of things are connected in my mind. And mm. if you're not going to wait, then you should at least be pretty rigorous about changing your mind and being like ag- aggressively change your mind when necessary. Mm. Um, I And I that's another thing I try very – it's a sort of a joke among people that I know how, how often I will render an opinion one day and then the next day it's like I'm saying the exact opposite. And I, <laughs> you know, no, you just really can't – you should not place any great stock in anything I say because tomorrow is just another day. I mean I'm going to start over and – probably contradict myself. But that's kind of part of the same process is that you don't want to get I don't want to be hostage to some massive deviation, right? I don't I don't I don't want that to matter in the same um uh similar like the and that's the <clears throat> that notion of never judging someone for their worst moment is part of that because one of the things you do Patience is about giving someone, obviously, multiple chances. And it's only – you only have to give someone a second chance as if, they're, as if they blow their first chance, right? So by definition, it's, this is a response that is – that has to be reserved for people who have offended, harmed, insulted, done something to you, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing we were saying before about forgiveness. Yes. It's pointless to be forgiving well, if someone doesn't need forgiveness. And loving lovable people is some bullshit too. Like, oh, I love Steve. Steve just gave everyone a car. You know what I mean? Like, this sucks. Can you, you know what this reminds me of? Yes. I, the, the, I used to get so wound up about people who um, were, you know, thought that it was a great revolution when ordinary Americans started supporting gay marriage. I was mm. like, I'm sorry. You don't get any points for embracing a group of people who want to do something that you already like and do. That's right. That's not, that doesn't make you tolerant. It does not make you tolerant. It is, it's like, 
you you only get points for tolerance if this group you don't like want to do want to do something you don't like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. tolerance. That's tolerance right. is not them wanting to be more like you. That's right? that's so fucking funny. It's so I tried annoying. For the longest time to get the, it never worked. I was like, people think dumb people are nice. I'm nice. I have a joke about your outfit ready to go if you turn on me. I don't say it. I'm nice. But, but you know what I'm saying? Does that, you're laughing. <laughs> it makes me think you understand what I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is really, really funny. You know, when you talk about patience, I'm reminded of something else Richard Roy taught me, respect, respect to look again. So when you respect someone, you're looking again. It's sort of an offshoot of patience. Mm-hmm. And here's some bullshit. And this is something I do. And I feel like it's up your alley. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody that is just, they're not bad or good. They're just sort of basic, right? It's just, I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. And what I'll do is I'll go, hey, dipshit, talking to myself, pretend it's Brad Pitt. Just talk to this person like they're Brad Pitt. You know what I mean? Because we we do give patience and forgiveness. If Brad Pitt was saying the exact same asinine nonsense this person was saying, I'd be laughing, I'd be touching his shoulder. Yeah, That's actually become kind of a spiritual practice. I go, what if this boring person was Angelina Jolie? And by the way, as someone who's grown in fame, I know what they do. They laugh. They touch your shoulder. They they say things like, that's interesting, when it wasn't interesting. It's and it's bullshit. So we should love as it like this is modern gospel. Love your neighbor as if they're Brad Pitt. <laughs> and lo I say to you unto you, love thy neighbor as if thy neighbor were Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, let yeah, let yeah, me yeah. fire off a few. Have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> yes. Tell me. My aunt's house in Jamaica was haunted. I was warned that if I slept in this particular bedroom, the ghost might play uh, this guitar in the corner. Ghost might play the guitar in the middle of the night. Like to do that? I said, okay. Middle of the night, ghost starts playing the guitar. So did I see him? It's dark. I heard him. He's playing the guitar. So you live the movie Coco, basically. This is the movie Coco. I can't. What did you do? Did you freak out? No, I thought it was really cool because I've been told. I've already been told. I was like, this is a ghost. Super friendly. Plays guitar. I am busting right now. I can't believe that little, how old? Child? Maybe 11 or 10. 11-year-old Malcolm just kind of propped up on one elbow and listened to a concert played by the undead. Jamaicans take ghosts very seriously. Call them duppies. Um, And so it's not like, no one else was treating this like anything out of extraordinary. This... You know, this wasn't like, you know, Close Encounters. You know, it, was, it wasn't like there's going to be some Martian. It was like, there is a ghost. He's in that room. You want to live it? You want to sleep in that room tonight? Okay. You're going to meet the ghost. Like, are you, I was like, all right, I know. I want, I want to live, I want to sleep in my own bed tonight I, my, by myself. I don't want to sleep with my brother. So. <laughs> I can't believe that. And I love it. I'd rather sleep with the ghost than my brother. Here's a random one. Do you ever feel like I listened to revisionist history, the McDonald's French fry one, which I thought was so fun. Um, And it was interesting. I was like, oh, wow, Malcolm eats beef tallow. Here's why I bring it up. Yeah. Uh, Beef tallow is nasty. Uh, No judgment. I'm just saying it's just kind of like a crude material. And there you are crunching them on. Here's like an NPR. Mm -hmm. I say that with love. Like a, a smart guy. 
you seem to me like making deliberate effort to not know so much that you can't enjoy things. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I'm very, um, well, th it's more fun to have friends who know things than it is sometimes to know things. So my brother knows, <laughs> you know, a huge amount about cooking. And I have friends who know a lot about wine or old movies or whatever. And it's just way more fun to ask them to kind of delegate to them. That's what I enjoy. Um, I love. So um, you don't want to hold on to all that stuff. But no, what about like, like, if I told you there's invisible shrimp in tap water, you strike me as a guy that'll suck down some New York City tap water. Yeah, totally. I, I would not. What's going on? Not, I mean, I might take it to wash down in Advil, but I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say to the bus guy, I'm gonna say I don't want any of that water because there's really? pharmaceuticals, there's jet fuel. This is what I'm saying: is how do you, in all your research, avoid the, the pitfall of knowing so much? Oh. I could ruin leather for you. I could ruin yeah. uh, sunscreen for you. I could ruin the emanations from your cell phone and being so close to your nuts all day, like. How are you avoiding that? And in your love of research and data, yeah, I don't. We can... I'm not a worry. I don't worry about anything. I don't. I'm not really a worrier. I don't. <laughs> I don't personalize this stuff. I'm just like it's whatever. It's like, on balance. I mean, on balance, I'm living the healthiest life of any. If you go back a thousand years of Gladwells, no one's lived a healthier life than me. That's right? true. They were like living in some tiny unheated cottage in the. You know, yeah. on the other side, my go back three generations, they're like four generations. They're like slaves. I don't, you know, like I'm fine. I don't know why I would be whining. Um, it is so funny because it's so fun to whine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it feels good. I don't know. I don't know why I do it. We're back to like, why do we do what we do? Not a whiner. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm a half, I'm half English. I'm stiff upper lip. I'm like my dad, my dad and I would walk. <clears throat> to church, which was, no one else would, just the two of us, they would all drive, and we would silently, like, be superior, because it would be, like, 10 below, <laughs> and we would be, you know, with the dog. Dog would, like, sit and, where would he put the dog? Somewhere in the church, the dog would just sit for the sermon, and then we'd collect him and walk home. Um, a so dog came months. out and gave a dog sermon. <laughs> Blessed um, are those who bark. <laughs> the, um, what was my point? My point was... Uh, You're not a whiner. Oh, yeah. It's like, why? the whole point of this is everyone else in the family was complaining about how cold it was, and we were going to walk to church regardless. That was the point. The point was there was, there was great virtue in my mind as a child um, in being the one who didn't complain. That was just... That way was... That's soft. It would be soft. Okay. Okay, I'm, I've gotten the cue that we, we're running out of time, or we're out of time, but here I go with one last question. Mm -hmm. You can take your choice. Well, I, I need to know, uh, I need to know. Have you ever done a psychedelic? No. You feel like Michael Pollan's doing that for for that market? <laughs> I, I don't understand. What, my life's not interesting enough? Like, it, like <laughs> at what point do you just say enough? I mean, it's. I'm already, I have more sources of distraction and sensation than any, like I said, any other Gladwell going back mm -hmm. thousands of years. And what, I want to crank it up even higher? It's already a 10. I, there's, <laughs> what is I this feeling it. that it's not good enough? Where does this come from? I can walk out my front door and I, someone will cook me a gourmet meal for like $30. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, at the end of that, I'm going to say, oh, 
that was so lacking. I'm going to like fry my brain with some exotic pharmaceutical. This is just nuts. I have no time for these people. Like this kind of relentless pursuit of ever more like extravagant and obscure forms of stimulation. Like just rela- like what you've all, oh, I'm sorry, you've read all the books or how to read. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, in that case, yes, it makes sense. Oh, I didn't, re- I didn't, I didn't realize that you've seen every great movie. And so now all you have left to do is take, I'm sorry, I apologize. I, I didn't, re- I didn't realize you'd explored the entire world. Yeah. So now all that's left is to take LSD. I will say, after you take an LSD, uh, East of Eden doesn't hold your attention just as well. well. Maybe that's another good reason not to do it, right? Well, I, that's 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 misleading. It doesn't turn the volume down. You can enjoy East of Eden. I am a I am a, a an enjoyer. It's part of my religious practice. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a line, but it truly is. Have you read Brian Morarescu's Immortality Key? That seems like up your alley. Maybe, just because it's what everybody's yeah. talking about. It kind of traces it, mm-hmm. it kind of traces ancient Christianity back to the use of psychedelics and the Dionysian Dionysian mysteries. Yeah. Uh, well, Eastern. yeah. Because like 4,000 years ago, there's a lot less going on. That's my point. Right? They're not <laughs> they can't get a ta- they can't get like their choice of tacos from DoorDash in 15 oh minutes, can they? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> when you said your dad had $100,000 left, I was like, bye-bye DoorDash. That's the first thing to cut. You are walking to pick that up. You're not paying to have that delivered anymore. You are a gem. Can I say one earnest thing? When I was... 22 and I had just gotten married and I believe that's when Blink came out and you really just were one of those people that was like that's an option I, I want to mean this say this oh, from my heart yeah. you can be smart you can have you can be thoughtful you can read you can do research and and dare I say it's okay to be interesting you know what I mean like in fact be interesting if that's one of the things you can be. And when I was falling in love with your work, it changed my life. It really oh, did. I was like, oh, not only funny. is it interesting, but it's cool. It's fun. You made it accessible. One of the most badass things you said on Larry King was you were like, go read a, a journal of psychology, see how far you get. I thought that was so funny. But you did make it something that I could consume. And I, I'm really in debt to you. Oh. I, I, so yes, um, that sound was what I was after. I do want to ask you what you make of the the most unlikable character in White Lotus reading Blink. Did you see that? Fantastic. So fantastic. (laughs) That's like the the best thing that's ever happened to me. I was like, this person, whoever did that, made that decision, is such a genius. Because, of course, that jackass would be reading Blink. I mean, 20 years late. That's that's what I took from it. I was like, he's reading Blink, which is like having a beanie baby in the bed or something. Like, it's it's off. Totally. It totally is. Yeah. No, yeah. No, the whole thing was fantastic. I was like, uh, I thought it was that was that was genius. I'm so glad, and I'm not surprised that you understood why that was a smart and funny choice. Okay, Malcolm, that, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you do these back-to-back. Would Let's you please... touch. I would love that, sincerely. Yeah. Me, you, and Mike Birbiglia. I'll sit there <laughs> like your chaperone. Do not cut out the Mike Birbiglia bits. I, that was 100% a joke. When people promote themselves or say nice things about other people, I always say, cut that out. Um, would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. The guest okay. says keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. <laughs> we did a later audiobook, Malcolm, which I appreciate. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. That was fun. Lots of love. I appreciate Bye-bye. it. Bye bye.